Welcome to the A-Fire Podcast. What can the arts teach us about change and resilience? What can tragedy teach us about future possibilities? What is the future of urban multifamily? On the line today with me is Joshua Benaim. He's the principal and co-founder of ARIA Development Group, a multifamily investor, developer, and manager out of New York City. He's also the author of a fascinating book, Real Estate, A Love Story. It was a delight to read and truly a deeper dive into fundamental issues for our industry. And he's uniquely suited to help answer those questions. So, Joshua, thank you for joining us on the AFIRE podcast. Thank you, Gunnar, for having me. So, Joshua, how are you and your firm handling this COVID-19 crisis? Well, Gunnar, we're trying to find inspiration to, to forge ahead. And we are in the midst of a, not just a public health emergency and not just an economic downturn, but a, a human tragedy that we had really become unaccustomed to. Uh, that, that is part of human history and always has been. And I think the language of business and the language of, of economics is in some ways ill-suited to grapple with human tragedy. What I turn to for inspiration uh, in these times is music. Um, or you think of Verdi and the, the, the chorus of Hebrew slaves, Va Pensiero, and, uh, which was written during, during the Risorgimento, a dark time in, in the history of Italy. But he took inspiration from events in the past um, that showed that humanity can come together and rise up and, and build a better future. And so we're trying to step up and think about how we'll look back on this time. What can we do that will help grow, grow our team, grow our business, help others? Um, take, we're taking care of the elderly in many of our buildings, for example, and making sure they have access to food. Um, we're trying to improve our, our product and, and bring together uh, the, the best of what we can create in real estate with the, not just the product, but the service and the technology and, and the entire experience. So we're trying to to move forward in such a way that we can look back and, and say to our children one day that we stepped up in this moment. It, it is interesting that you reach back to these other periods, that you reach back to, to the arts as a way of helping understand perhaps the meaning of tragedy and the utility of tragedy in helping to shape what we do going forward. Um, and yet, you know, you're working in an environment where you're worrying about how to make sure that everyone's able to stay in their homes, pay the rent, uh, take care of services, deal with the, the very workaday practical aspects of real estate. And yet you see it as something that's higher. It, it, you have, it seems to me, kind of based so much of your business uh, around music. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, yes, uh, we, we do run a, I mean, we run a significant multifamily business where we develop and operate apartments. And we are focused very clearly on delivering great returns for our investors and for and also providing an amazing service and great value proposition for our tenants. But the, the role that music has played in my life, which was once a greater part of my life, and, and even today, is, is looking at our business from a humanistic perspective. What are we 
putting out there in our real estate that is worthwhile and that's authentic and that gives people a great place to live. And that makes us think really deeply about what kind of apartment, for example, we want to build for people and, or renovate. Uh, what, what is it that's important to people? It's, it's funny, but it, it even makes itself known in some of the very smallest clues as how people want to live. I'll give you an example, Gunnar. Um, I, I, I end up posting some ads on Craigslist uh, for some of our apartments because I want to see, I want the pulse of the market. And I also have a running bet with our leasing staff. <laughs> so, uh, so we, and we've continued to lease a number, of, a number of apartments. We're very fortunate to be in the multifamily space and in residential, which is an essential business. And, and so we've continued to, to go out there and, 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 and lease apartments. I started posting uh, a couple of different ads and the one that is overwhelmingly the most responded to. And I even got some responses last week. Someone from Germany wanted an apartment and we did a virtual tour. Somebody from, uh, from uh, the West Coast wanted an apartment. And basically it was called exquisite brand new junior one bedroom with balcony. And the second most popular was stunning junior one bedroom with balcony. And the third most popular was Rockstar Penthouse with private roof deck. And I think the common denominator here is people are looking for private outdoor space and ways to have an indoor-outdoor experience. And also, they're looking, in the case of a junior one-bedroom, they're not saying that, they're, that they want to live in, let's say, a sprawling apartment. They just want a little bit of beauty, a little bit of outdoor connection, but they still want an urban, a rich urban experience, a walkable neighborhood um, at a, a reasonable price point. And, and so uh, many of the things that people want uh, will we'll continue. The, you know, timeless parts of human nature, I believe, will continue uh, well beyond this crisis. It's interesting what you're saying. You, you keep saying people want an urban environment. And yet I talk to a lot of people in the midst of this crisis that are predicting that the city, as we understand it, and the, the, the trend for more urbanization that's been happening globally at an accelerated rate over the last 20 years is essentially over. That going forward, because of this crisis, people no longer will want to live close by. They'll no longer want to live in an urban environment that is, at this point in time, dangerous. That they'll all want to live out in the exurbs. They'll all want to be as far apart from each other as possible. How do you answer that assertion? Well, I personally think rumors of the city's demise are greatly exaggerated. Um, I, we're in a, the midst of a crisis, which is a difficult time to, to see. I, I much prefer hindsight, which is 2020. But if I had to guess here, I, I think that there's no question right now. Many of my friends, especially people with young kids, are looking for uh, more space um, and, and, a, and a, a little bit of an easier lifestyle. But I also believe that within a number of years, this too shall pass. And I, I, I think it would be dangerous to extrapolate what people will want permanently from what they want at this particular moment. I, 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 this, right now, people are driven by fear and it's frightening to get in the subway. You, you're actually exposing yourself to a physical ailment or death. And so, but I, I kind of remember when New York felt like that before. Hmm. which wasn't that long ago. I, I grew up in New York City in the 70s and 80s. And the subway was also viewed as a place uh, you know, where, which you, you know, entered at your own peril. 
And then, and then somehow the city began to come back and it, there was a certain romance to the city. You could meet people, the economic effect of clusters and people working in industries together in close proximity continued to take, uh, to take effect. And we also went through in New York City the incredibly difficult experience and tragic experience of September 11th. And everybody thought that, we, that, that, that no one would ever live in lower Manhattan. It was toxic. Um, you know, I, I remember my grandmother saying, well, how, how, are you sure you need to get in the subway um, when we were hearing about London and Madrid? And, um, but yet, when the fear passes, you're able to kind of move up the hierarchy of human needs and desires to, to community, to love, to friendship, to a meaningful work environment. Um, I, I think right now, a lot of our work experiences are running off of relationships that we've built over decades. But without, without the opportunity to build those relationships in person as a business person, and without the opportunity to make friends or meet somebody or fall in love, I'm, I'm not sure that everyone will be rushing to, to live as far away from other people. I don't feel like there wasn't a chorus of people saying, get me out of these beautiful cities with all these interesting people. Please, I want to live all by myself far away from anybody. <laughs> Right now, I hear yeah, it. But. Absolutely. And, and, and we are following the same path that historically cities have followed in times of pandemic. So think about the cholera epidemics and, and how they impacted Europe and, and London in particular. Think about uh, the bubonic plague. Think about the, the influenza pandemic of 1918. People did leave the cities. They got away from each other. They hunkered down. Those that could afford it would go to places far away. Uh, but as soon as it was over, where did they go? They came back. And I think you're, you're pointing to that quite eloquently. Well, for every, for every young family that I've talked to that um, is, is, is desperate to flee the city right now, there, there's probably two millennials staying with their parents in the suburbs that are equally desperate to get back to the city. <laughs> so. I agree. And, you know, when I look at a lot of people talk about their own teams and their own staffing and the highest levels of concern in terms of how to handle the lockdown working from home regime that, that many of us are going through right now is less around the older members of their staff, those that are Gen Xers or boomers that perhaps are settled down, have families, are, are living and working with their family around them. The concern is, to a great extent, uh, and, and rightly so, to the millennials um, and making sure that they're connected. Do, are you seeing the same thing? Well, yes. I think there's that. that's going to be the, the most interesting piece of this that's yet to be written, because I think in some ways, cities got a little bit ahead of themselves and a little bit too crazy, and the pricing got too crazy. So already, I think we were seeing a uh, millennial generation looking for looking for a more livable environment. Now, as Aria, what we've been doing has been trying to create a, a livable environment and an affordable environment within the city, within the fabric of a walkable neighborhood through more you know, smart humanistic design, through, in some cases, more compact units, but with, with more innovative amenities or balconies, as we've mentioned in the case of Craigslist. But there, there's, there's no question that uh, for, to continue to attract the millennial generation, uh, there, there might have to be some kind of correction in the, in the pace of life or the, 
I would say this, the, 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 the pricing of, of living in a, in a great city, and I, it's not how I remember New York growing up in, this, in, the, in the 70s or the 80s, for example. Everybody's saying, uh, well, if New York doesn't have the great things I want, why would I live there? And, but the great things that people want, I'm not sure that we need you know, four restaurants on every corner. Uh, you know, when I was growing up there, when New York was, uh, we very rarely ate out. And if we did, it, we went to Ferrara's for, you know, Italian pastries, or we went to Chinatown, you know, maybe once every few months. Uh, and, and in 2016, in the United States of America, not just New York, it was the first year that people spent more on eating out than on groceries and dining in, uh, a, a trend that's sure to be reversed, you know, this year. But people were lamenting that New York was becoming a terrible place uh, before this happened, or that it was that it was uh, that it, it wasn't like the good old days. And and, and if you if you think about um, uh, the, Frank Sinatra, you know, New York, New York, on the town, they were lamenting that New York wasn't like it was, you know, before the 1918, uh, you know, pandemic. So everybody's been lamenting that New York is is over. And I I wouldn't I I wouldn't count out New York. I wouldn't I wouldn't bet against New York. But I'm I'm certainly exploring other cities and and neighborhoods. Um, that I think have great potential for the millennial generation. When you've spoken to your investors and when you've spoken to your team, I've heard you ask the question, when we look back at this time and this crisis and how we handled this crisis, what, what do we hope that we did during this time? How do we want to look back at this time? I'd love to hear your answer to that question. Well, I, I think, for, first of all, I would love to look back and say that we were able to help help others get through this difficult moment because we're very fortunate to be able to, 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 to be in a position to have this conversation. And there are many of our, you know, of our fellow humans that are not in that condition. So everything from the smallest, I've been in touch with one of my tenants, Peggy Lewis, that's, that's uh, you know, she's in her eighties. She's, she's a, a, a tenant that's a resident in one of our buildings that we actually moved out of a rundown dilapidated building. And then we, we, we built a beautiful institutional grade multifamily building on the site. And the deal was that we would move her and a few other remaining tenants back into the building at their original rent. And this was a win-win in a sense. We got to build a beautiful big apartment building that made a lot of sense for our investors. But we also got to put Miss Peggy back into her apartment, uh, a, brand new, a, a brand new space. So she's, we've been making sure, trying to make sure she's gotten access to, to food um, and, and whatever she needs, she's struggling. We're, we're, we're reaching out to others in our community and our, our, our space to the extent we can be helpful. On a business standpoint, I think this is the time to reinvent and be the company we always wanted to be and to build the buildings we always wanted to build. Why, why build an uninspired apartment? Why do things the way we've always had to do things? Everything has changed. <laughs> Our lives are totally upside down. So why not look at this and, and think about, for example, how do we build in a multifamily apartment building for the technological environment of today? There's going to be a huge acceleration, I think, in the adoption of technology. From We've seen with Amazon, what package rooms, we, we've been obsessed with package rooms and, and figuring out how to get this uh, kind of it's almost like the, the, the lobby are like the docks and we get these packages that come in constantly. 
How do we accommodate that with, with um, hub lockers? Uh, how do we get broadband into our apartments? Um, and how do we conduct our, our, all of our tours virtually? We were already experimenting with a lot of these technologies, but why not use this as a time to step up and invent better ways of doing things that, that really provide the, what I view as the, the, the trifecta of real estate, not, uh, which is investing, development, and, and management, where you can fuse the, the product that you build and the service that you provide with these new technologies to, to, to create a better experience and, and hopefully a, a, an affordable better experience. So those are things I think this is, I, I think this is challenging us to rise to the occasion to make a better, more affordable urban product so that people can enjoy the wonderful things that cities have to offer in a safe and comfortable and reasonably priced environment. It's uh, inspiring to hear you say that, uh, although not really a surprise when you look at institutional holders of multifamily, what has struck me over the last three months is the proactive nature of these landlords that, like you, they have been reaching out to their tenants. They have been trying to make sure they understand who is having issues, whether it's employment or even personal and physical issues, um, and really doing, really stepping up, I think, as a group. When you look at the statistics in terms of collections of uh, monthly rent, that it's only a few percentage points off of normal rent collection periods in years previous. And I think a lot of that, at least what I've been hearing anecdotally, is because even the very large institutional landlords uh, understand that the success of their investments uh, is heavily reliant on the success of their tenants. Um, and I think that's something that, that gives me great hope. Uh, not just uh, for your investors, uh, Joshua, and your tenants, but for uh, all of us, uh, because I'm seeing heroic things happening everywhere. Obviously, there are folks that don't understand, the folks that are only responding with fear, and that's where a lot of the problems lie. But I think it would be a mistake to think that the those that are acting solely on fear and self-interest are not the majority. Uh, certainly they're the most newsworthy, but I am seeing behaviors like like yours, like Aria's, uh, repeated time and time again amongst the institutional uh, owner class uh, in terms of understanding that it's important. Whether dealing with luxury multifamily or they're dealing with affordable multifamily, I think across the board you're seeing extraordinary behaviors. And, and, and innovative ways of rising to these challenges. I've been so impressed with the AFIRE uh, you know, virtual roundtables that have been occurring and to have, in many cases, people that uh, maybe it's a small silver lining in a sense that that it would, it's hard to get everyone together quite as regularly. But right now, everybody has been coming together really across the entire world to try to solve these problems in a decent, ethical and, 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 and profitable, um, savvy way. Well, I, I do think it's it it's uh, it has been a to your point, yes, a silver lining and an inspiration to see people coming together. And and I don't think anyone woke up one day and said, well, "What I really want to do is spend the next eight or nine hours on Zoom calls." Um, and yet, we're doing it. We're doing it because we seem to need that. And I think it's something that that that's very positive. That connection. And it, it will it will be that that people are desperate for that human contact. I, I, there are parts of the 
if you like solitude, and I, I can enjoy a good you know, time of solitude myself, there are parts of, of that separation that, that are uh, you know, tranquil and, 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 and reinforcing. But for most people, um, pe- really, people really want to see their friends, see their colleagues, get back into the office, I think my, my uh, I'm desperate to get back into the office. My my colleagues are desperate to get back into the office. So I think that bodes well for for cities. And what we we really have to rise to the new challenges of of density. And maybe that means uh, self disinfecting elevators, for example. I've been doing some research on UV light that kills the coronavirus pretty effectively. And uh, the second the doors close and no one's in the elevator. The UV light turns on, and and uh, so or, so maybe we have to figure out those kind of technological solutions. Um, but I, I I think the I think the city has a great future. <laughs> that there there may be the triumph of uh, temporarily triumph of the car, and I, no doubt that people will spend time, a lot of time, looking for um, you know sort of driving to places that are a little more. Uh, fresh air and 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 less crowded, but I think you also might counterintuitively see uh, not just the triumph of the car, but also the triumph of the foot. While public transit is 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 hurting, uh, you may see what we were already seeing, which was the rise of twenty four hour neighborhoods and where you can walk to work, where you can walk to a restaurant or a bar or or catch a, a play, and 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 perhaps that will be available uh, in cities in a way that that has only really begun to to evolve. So I, I, I'm excited to see where this goes when, God willing, we emerge from this from this crisis. So I, I agree with you. I think, uh, you know, get out your walking shoes. And, and as, a, as a, a longtime urban cyclist, I'm also excited to see that bicycle sales and use are, are through the roof through this crisis. I think we're finding different ways to get to what we want, get to what we need. And I think it's very positive. Um, so what's your, you know, we, we've kind of, we're, we're running out of time. I'd love to like have a chance to kind of have you summarize what your takeaway is from all this. Well, my, my, my big picture takeaway is that we, ha- we have to think what kind of a world do we want to build when this is done? And, and by extension, what kind of buildings do we want to build? And what kind of company do we want to build? And I think people will still want authentic, beautiful, inspiring spaces. And we just have to stay really close to our human customer. <laughs> to understand what that is. But I, I believe that there are a lot of clues already out there as to what, what kind of a, a, a real estate environment, whether it's office or apartments or retail or, or restaurant, what kind of environment appeal to human truths that are timeless. And I, I believe people still crave that connection to others the relationships that you build over a career in, in our real estate industry are, are really what sustains us. And people will continue to crave those things and find ways. And we have to find ways to, to create and adapt our buildings to continue to serve human needs. So that, that's the, those are my two cents, Gunnar. I think, uh, <laughs> that's, I, I think we, we continue to find 
inspiration in the acts and you know courage and heroism that we see around us. We continue to find, I personally find a lot of inspiration in music. And I, I wanted to give you a little example and maybe we can, maybe we can even play a little bit for, for our listeners. So Absolutely. Uh, as an opera lover, um, I'm thinking of uh, Va Pensiero, which is the chorus of Hebrew slaves, uh, which was a 19th century composition by Giuseppe Verdi, the greatest genius, in my view, of, of opera. And I, I wanted to share a, a, one of the profiles in Courage, in my opinion, um, that I've seen is the Sarasota Opera, uh, a, a, a terrific, plucky opera company focused on Italian opera in Florida that when they were shut down in the midst of the opera season, in order to close the theater, they continued to pay their musicians, their singers, the carpenters and electricians till the end of the season. And they were not contractually obligated to do this, but they actually stepped up in an incredible way for their community. And so in a kind of a, a tribute, I, I, I would love to share that, uh, their performance of Va Pensiero. So my, my parting words would be, uh, let's find inspiration in the acts of others. Let's find inspiration in, in opera Va Pensiero, La Boheme, uh, Schumann's Dichte Liebe or Winterreise or, or Franco Corelli's concert in Tokyo where the applause was so thunderous they, they would not let him get off the stage. And let's, let's go out there and make great buildings and make the world a better place. Well, thank you. Uh, we'll we'll play a, a section of that from the the Sarasota uh, Opera Company. Uh, thank you for joining us, and thank you for your inspirational words, Joshua. Thanks, Gunnar.
before we close out this podcast, I wanted to make sure we took some time to thank our underwriters, Prologis, JLL, and Holland Partners, who make it possible for AFIRE to provide programming such as these podcasts. Thank you. This podcast is produced by AFIRE, the Association for International Real Estate Investors focused on commercial property in the United States. AFIRE is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice through this podcast. None of the content is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. Some information included in this podcast may have been obtained from third-party sources considered to be reliable, though AFIRE is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy of third-party information. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of its respective contributors and sources and do not necessarily reflect those of AFIRE. This is Gunnar Branson from the AFIRE podcast.